0: And the ball is in the air! He goes up for the catch! Oh, he's got it! But the call is called out of bounds. Oh, yep, they're going to take a closer look at this one. You know, sometimes things happen really fast, and depending on where they were, they may not have gotten the clear picture of the play. You know, up here in the booth it looked like a good catch, but on the field, right in the middle of the action, you sometimes may focus on one thing and miss another, bringing in different angles and perspectives. As you take a closer look and help bring clarity and truth to the situation. Oh, yep, looks like they have a call on the field. The <laughs> here now, joining us here in the East Auditorium for worship this morning. As well, good morning to all of you who are worshiping in the West Auditorium, and good morning to all of you who are online as well. Thanks for tuning in this morning. And good morning to you, uh, Mr. Helicopter flying over. All right. As a church body, we are saying goodbye to the summertime, uh, and we are saying hello to the fall. A fall's in the air. I don't know if you feel like you can smell it. You can probably taste it because the pumpkin spice lattes are back out. Hallelujah. Celebration. And uh, football's kicked up. Football is kicking up. Before the very first service this morning, I saw my very first uh, jersey at church. I felt very proud to have spied it among the, the masses. And so football's kicking up, and it's just time. Kids are going back to school. It's a time for transition. And so for us as a church, it's an opportunity for transition as well. Uh, If you missed any of the God of the Underdog sermon series, it's available for you online. You can always go back and watch it, but we are going to transition some of our study and a focus. In the next few weeks, what we're going to be looking at and what we're going to be diving into is a new sermon series called uh, uh, Under... uh, Really, it's got to do with our life. I should be clear here. We're not going to be watching football specifically on Sunday mornings at this time. If you do that on your own, that's up to you. But it's really got to be Grounded in the idea that under further review has to do with looking at our lives under review. We're going to take an intentional look at the scope of our lives, uh, the scope of who we are as people, our sense of identity, our world. And uh, we are are going to go under the hood, uh, just like when you have the calls that are made, when there's the challenge flag is thrown, the referee, I think the technical term, goes under the hood and they look right? At all the various perspectives and angles and ways in which you can look at a given situation or a given um, um, play that had happened, we're going to do the same thing with our lives. We're going to look at different perspectives and different angles. We're going to look from different viewpoints and hopefully gather a better sense of how God is moving in our world, in our lives, and what God sees. As a result, we're going to put our lives and our world under review. Now, I do want to be clear, though, we are not. We are not going to be isolating our sense of what we review to a specific moment in time, okay? What we're not going to do is to say, hey, was this the right call that I made at a specific point or time in my life? No, that's not what we're going to do. We're going to look at the, the broad perspective of our lives in our world seeking to understand ourselves from different angles and perspectives, point of view, and narratives. When I use that word choice, narratives, it's particularly important because of the ways in which we tell ourselves stories and we tell stories about ourselves. We understand the world through the various stories that we tell, and they help to shape the the, the reality as we know it. And so one of the big questions that we're going to be looking at and, and really asking ourselves is what is the lens... What is the view and perspective, the lens that we look through as we establish our understanding of our story and the stories around us, the world and how we interact with it? As we do that, we're doing that from a Christian perspective, which means we are going to be asking where is God in our world? Where do I see him at work? Where do I notice him? How have I seen him at work in the history of my life? How have I seen him at work in the lives of the people around me? What does God see when God sees the world? What does God see when God sees me? And eventually we can arrive at a place of asking, what is it that God wants me to see? What is the lens that God would hope for my life, that I would look at my spouse through, that I would look at my kids and see them through this lens, that I would see my work, and I would see my play, and I would see my own self-identity. What lens would God have us adopt as we understand ourselves in this world? You might summarize it by saying what we're going to do is pursue a godly perspective, really grounding ourselves in a godly perspective as it relates to us and the world that we live in. To help us do that we are going to focus on one area of scripture and we're going to track through it all of the weeks and so if you have a bible uh if you if you don't have a bible you can always download one we'd love to give you one before you leave this morning but we are big on the bible here at christ church and a word of encouragement for you please never depreciate the bible but find ways in which you can integrate it into your daily life and daily living this is one of the ways that you can do that is over the next few weeks read this these are the only verses we're going to be covering in in, in Intense looks uh, in, as an intense look over the next three weeks is going to be here from the book of Matthew Matthew is one of the Gospels. so a reminder for you what a gospel is firsthand eyewitness account life death and resurrection of Jesus So it's a Jesus book. We have four of them Matthew Mark Luke John Matthew is one of those books and we are going to be studying chapter 16 Verses 1 through 28 over the next three weeks. So sometime this week find a Bible Google this And read it and begin to study it as we are going to be studying it together. In fact, let's start now. This is verse 1 from chapter 16, and we're going to walk through this seeking to better understand that godly perspective. One day the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test Jesus. Now, a quick side note right off the bat. Some of you may know and some of you may not know what a, phas- a Pharisee or an a Sadducee is. A Pharisee and a Sadducee is kind of a religious, a spiritual leader of the Jewish people at the time. Uh, Pharisees led synagogues, what you might, akin to like a church or a community of Jewish believers, would gather at a synagogue, and a Pharisee would be the leader. Sadducees led the temple practices. And so these are more or less a way of saying the spiritual leaders of the Jewish people came, and they came with an agenda to test Jesus. They're coming to find out more and to understand more about who this Jesus character is. In fact, they demand a sign from him. They are demanding that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven in order to prove his authority. You see, we're at chapter 16 in the book of Matthew which means that Jesus has a good following by now. Jesus has been doing some incredible things by now. Jesus has been healing people. Jesus has been casting out demons. He's been walking on water. He's been feeding the 5,000. Jesus has a following now, and he's got these incredible teachings that, that are a part of his life and that he's sharing with other persons And Jesus is kind of a big deal at this point in time. And so the spiritual leaders have taken note of him and his following, and they're coming to him saying, who are you? What's going on? And most specifically, what they want to know is whether or not he is the Jewish Messiah. The Jewish faith has this idea and this promise from the Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, that that someone is going to come, and they're going to be a messianic or a messiah figure, And that Messiah figure is going to bring deliverance. That Messiah figure is going to throw off all the bad stuff, uh, specifically at this time when this was happening, Rome was the bad stuff. And, And this Messiah was going to be a king like the kings of old, like a famous guy named King David. That's the expectation of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they're coming to Jesus to say, Are you that guy? If so, prove it. Prove it with a miraculous sign, a wonder. Prove. And they make this demand that Jesus prove his own authority and his divinity. Now, as they're doing this, they're doing this with a very narrow focus. They have certain expectations and definitions of what a Messiah is supposed to be. And so they have narrowed their focus to a degree that says, hey, are you this conquering general who's going to get rid of Rome or not? Because that must be what the Messiah is. And and they are, with their tunnel vision, blacking out. They are blind to the other 16 chapters. They're demanding a sign and miracle and wonder here and now and they're ignoring 16 chapters of healing people and casting out demons and feeding the 5,000. It's not like Jesus hasn't done a miraculous sign and wonder yet. He just isn't doing it according to the expectations and norms of the Pharisees and Sadducees who want a sign, and they want it now. Their perspective is narrowly defined And the Pharisees and Sadducees can't see how God might have already been at work in the world, in Jesus. And they refuse to acknowledge other angles, points of view, and different ways at which one could look at the situation. They just want what they want, and they want it now. Now, before we're too harsh on these Pharisees, I can actually kind of emphasize, and excuse me, empathize with these guys. Maybe you can too. Let me explain. Have you ever demanded a sign from God? I mean, have you ever driven down the road, right? and You're driving your car, and you're facing a situation. You're facing a circumstance. You got to make a choice. You got to make a choice about a relationship. You got to make a choice about work. Maybe you're in a situation as it relates to your kids or your parents. Uh, for, for some of you, you're thinking about college and what that looks like. And for every, others of you, you're figuring out school for the first time and what friends I should hang out with. You're, you're thinking about maybe the job offer that you just got, whatever it is. And you look up at the clouds. I don't know why we look up at the clouds. We have this idea that somehow God sits in the clouds. But we look up at the clouds and we actually say, God, give me a sign, won't you? Tell me what I'm supposed to do. Tell me how to handle the situation. I need a sign from you, and I need it now. I need a sign, and I need you to tell me how to fix this given situation so that my life goes back to being better. I need a sign. And we literally drive on the freeway looking at every billboard because we imagine that somehow God is going to write on a billboard the sign that we're supposed to get that's going to tell us what we're supposed to do. Am I the only one who's ever experienced this before? Demanding a sign from God? Narrowly focused and in transparency blocking out the other ways in which God might already be speaking and moving in my life and the lives of those that I love and in this world. And so for as harsh as we can be in regards to these Pharisees, we have to acknowledge sometimes we do the same thing. We make demands of God for a sign and we have trouble imagining a different perspective, a different point of view at how God might already be speaking to us, working in our lives. We can get real concrete on this. We have trouble with our spouses. And we expect God to show us a sign or to do something as it relates to how we see and understand our spouse. We see our spouse in a very narrow definition. It's her fault. It's his fault. I was there. He screwed up. She screwed up. We do this with our kids. And and we begin to reiterate certain perspectives or stories about our kids and how they're supposed to behave or what they're supposed to do or what they did wrong. We do this about our bosses. We do this about our teachers. We do this about our coworkers. We begin to even do this about ourselves where we begin to tell ourselves a certain narrative or a certain story. Story, we lock ourselves into a certain perspective as we understand and interpret our own life. Nobody could love me. I couldn't be forgiven for that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not pretty enough. I just couldn't. That's just not me. And we narrowly define ourselves according to a very narrow perspective, pushing away all the other ways in which God has spoken to us, what God has done for us, the other ways in which God is at work in our lives or in the lives of those around us. Just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. If we're not careful, We can forsake a godly perspective and become totally fixated on our own story. Jesus pushes back on all of this. He says this in response to the Pharisees. He replies, you know the saying red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day you know how to read the signs and tell and forecast the weather but you don't even know how to interpret the signs of the times that is to say you know how to look at the sky and know whether it's going to rain or not when you woke up this morning and you saw the dark clouds out there did your brain tell you with some good old-fashioned common sense it's probably going to rain today i need to grab an umbrella And yet Jesus is saying, look, having common sense is not the same thing as having godly sense. Looking at your life and how you navigated it according to common sense is not the same thing as looking at your life in this world with godly sense. Let me give you another example. You ever sat down and you look at the TV and you grab the the remote and, and you go to turn the TV on but it doesn't turn on? You guys ever do that? Maybe the only one. I I will actually keep clicking the remote as if it's going to work. Like, I don't give up on it. I'm like, it's not working after the 74th time. Honey, it's still not working. And her answer is to come out and look at me, and and with a little bit of common sense, well, did you check and see if, uh, you know, it's even plugged in? Does it have power? Oh. I can get so locked in my perspective that I disregard common sense and godly sense by seeing and understanding how God can and is at work in our world and in my life and Jesus is willing to say you you got to plug in man you, you got to stop and take a breath and get connected and make sure that you are plugged into what matters you you got to have some godly perspective beyond and outside of your assumptive narrative Jesus has a way of correcting people. Have you ever felt that before? Jesus, give a little correction. He has a way of challenging us and reshaping us, amen? He does that for us this morning. And in fact, he pushes us a little bit further than perhaps we're even comfortable with. He goes so far as to say this to the Pharisees and therefore to us. Only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign that I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Then he walks away. Huh? What's up with the whole sign of Jonah thing? Well, this is an important thing to understand. The Bible usually helps us understand itself. If you don't know one area of Scripture it's probably got some insight in a different area of Scripture. This is why it's so important to read our Bibles in the totality. Scripture interprets Scripture. It helps us understand when we get the full breadth of Scripture to rightly, contextually interpret and apply Scripture. If you just take out this one piece about the sign of Jonah, it's like, what's up with that? But if you go to another story in the book of Matthew Jesus actually tells us exactly what the sign of Jonah is. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12. The only sign that I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The sign of Jonah is the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Maybe I could put it to you like this. So often in life, we demand signs from God, and we are locked into our perspective on how God is supposed to respond to us. But if we are not careful... We will overlook and miss the most significant sign he's already given the sign of Jonah, Jesus. If we are not careful, we will forget to look at our world and our lives apart from Jesus we will have our own lens formed by our own values, our own opinions, as opposed to seeing the world and seeing our lives through Jesus. If you're a Christian person, we see our world, our stories, our values. We see our spouses. We see our kids, we see our professors and teachers, our coaches, we see our friendships, we see our opportunities, we see our money, we see our houses, we see our pets, we see our our estranged, weird relative out there. We see everybody and everything through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It may not be the sign that you want, but Jesus is the sign you need. So often we look at our lives and say, God, give me a sign. And I'm pretty sure God looks at us, shakes his head and says, I already gave you one. I gave you Jesus after all. So embrace the sign that I have given you in the sign of Jonah and Jesus Christ. Embrace the person and the teachings and the implications of Jesus and you will find your way. Stop demanding a sign move outside of your locked-in perspective and take into account the ways in which God has already been at work in your life and in this world, most notably in Jesus. And as we do that, as we take Jesus into account, we begin to see things different. We begin to review our lives and our stories differently. We can begin to see God at work in places we didn't first suspect. We can see God as being present and available. We we can begin to see God as being close and listening. We can begin to see God in new ways that we had not dreamed or imagined. That's because we begin to look through Jesus. When a Christian goes under the hood and he looks at the world in his life, the lens that we adopt is the lens of our Christian faith of Jesus. And so we treat people and this world and even ourselves accordingly. We begin to see even the person in the mirror through Jesus, through his sacrifice and his grace and his love, which is for each one of you. Jesus is the lens through which one adopts a godly perspective. In fact, Jesus is the lens for God himself. When God looks at you, he looks through Jesus, and he sees in you a beloved, cherished child. He sees hope and a future and possibility. He doesn't see the weight of your brokenness. He doesn't see the pain and the suffering that you so often. He sees the reality of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. He sees what's possible in you and through you. And he sees his kingdom coming in your life and through your life because he sees you through Jesus Christ. We as Christian people are called to adopt the same lens, to look at ourselves and this world through Jesus. Over the next few weeks, we're going to explore this godly perspective more and more. We're going to put other things under review. We're going to examine ourselves, knowing and believing that God is at work in us, around us, and through us and that we will become sensitive and aware of that as we look to the person of Jesus Christ. So I hope you will join us for it. For the moment, let's pray to close, and let me pray for you. Jesus, I pray for those who hear this morning that they would have faith in you, in your goodness, in your person, in your sacrifice, Jesus, that they would see themselves and see this world through you, and what you have accomplished in your life death and resurrection we ask that you would go to work on us reshaping us informing us we make ourselves available to the reality of your holy spirit moving to challenge us just as you challenged the pharisees and the sadducees we ask in humility that you would allow us to see you at work that you would open our eyes to be eyes of faith to be more open in our perspectives to god how you are at work in our world In the lives of those around us we ask that as we adopt that godly perspective we would treat others in such a way that would be pleasing to you because we would see them through jesus we ask and pray lord i pray for those who are facing difficult situations and challenges in this particular time of their life i pray that they would not look for signs in the clouds but instead they would turn to jesus and find comfort and direction and encouragement in him. Help us embrace the teachings and the goodness of your life, death, and resurrection, Jesus, in all that we are and all that we do, that we might indeed adopt your perspective. We lay our lives before you for further review, knowing that we are forgiven and loved. Jesus, we pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen.